Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Out of My Mind podcast, where we try to view and interpret the events of this world and culture through the lens of Scripture, in other words, the Bible. I'm your host, Keith Crosby, and today's podcast takes more of a pastoral turn. It's entitled, Grief and Relief Over a Loved One's Apostasy. Grief and Relief Over a Loved One's Apostasy. I can't, I can't believe I'm saying that, but it's true because there is both grief and relief over a loved one's implicit and explicit denial of the faith. Let me clarify something about this title. It's usually assumed that when someone who knows the truth and believes it to be true chooses apostasy, per that disturbing Hebrew 6 passage, there is no longer a redemption for them. And that is the correct interpretation. And while I try to be a stickler for theological precision, I also try to communicate somewhat that is somewhat on a layperson's level. So just for clarity, let me read that Hebrews 6 passage and then explain what it is I'm talking about. Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. For it is impossible in the case of those who have been once enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. This is, shall we say, classic apostasy described. These days, however, with all the anemic teaching and teachers in the church, it's often hard to discern what gospel someone has believed or if they've really understood the gospel and are therefore rejecting the gospel. If the Holy Spirit has not illumined their understanding, what they heard and affirmed the gospel may not be what the gospel is. It may be something else, and that's a topic for another day. But let me give you this thought. We have children and siblings who want to please us and others, and they are able to parrot what we say, even if they don't always quite understand it. And so what you mistake for praying the proverbial sinner's prayer is simply one planting or another watering for a harvest yet to be, or it's a nail in the coffin for those who will stand before the great white throne without excuse. Back to the podcast title, Grief and Relief Over a Loved One's Apostasy. So, your brother or sister or friend or parent has professed Christ only to walk away and in effect deny him after be dramatic conversion. Where's the relief in this grief? It's simple if you think about it. They are no longer self-deceived or deluded about their salvation and maybe even their eternal destination. Everything is more or less out in the open. All the cards, as they say, are out on the table. And it would indeed be a grievous occurrence that someone would push away this costly gift purchased at so great a price by Jesus Christ. And I have to admit, I have to tell you, it's a heartbreaking thing for a parent or a sibling to realize that their loved one's eternity is at best uncertain. But your relief comes from knowing rather than not knowing. I've been to this rodeo before. There are days when you think someone you love is saved and days when you have to wonder. I'm reminded of the 1 Thessalonians 5.14 passage that says, And we urge you, brothers, to admonish the idle, to encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Presumably, all three of these are Christians, unlike in the parable of the soils, where only one of the soils is a Christian. And at least one of the unsaved scenarios in the parable of the soils may resemble a believer. People under hardship or great sadness at the same time, the faint-hearted and the weak, can resemble an apostate by the things they say or do in a moment of great duress or great agony or tragedy. But what the souls clarify for us is the yield. 
the hundredfold yield is qualitatively and quantitatively significant. It reveals the fruit without root and the seed that birds carried away to be non-believers. We know a tree by the fruit it bears, and sooner or later, by what is said or not said, done or not done, we recognize someone we mistook for a Christ follower who is not a Christ follower. The relief is, is that you now know what you and who you are dealing with. And with that clarity, even in the midst of the grief that's bound to accompany it, there is a sense of relief. The road ahead is clear. Evangelize. Don't take their salvation for granted. Don't think they're just backsliding. Don't kid yourself and others. Their apostasy, for lack of a better word or terminology, might present its symptoms in one or two ways. Ambivalence toward the things of God, like God's people or the church, they don't attend church anymore, or an outright admission of who and what they are. An unbeliever, someone who rejects Christ, someone who doesn't believe that Christ is the Savior. And now they've come out in the open, and that's good. I had a conversation recently with a loved one who was choosing to elevate personal relationships and institutional loyalty over Christ. I explained to them that those with whom they were aligned now were in opposition to Christ. And this wasn't a subtle opposition, by the way. But their response was that they were staying put, so to speak, because these were their friends. And I challenged them, saying, imagine choosing opposition to Christ after you claim that you believe he suffered in your place on the cross. Imagine choosing gross immorality over loving Jesus and his words. Initially, the event or encounter took my breath away for a moment or two. I was terribly sad, but I realized that I should have known this all along, and now there was no pretending or deceiving myself. Our conversations and my approach to conversations would change forever, and that was good. Grief and relief and peace. Peace, perhaps. Sometime you memorize Philippians 4, 6, and 7, maybe verses 8 and 9, too. Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You see, there is relief because Christians don't worry. They pray. They do something constructive. We don't pray to the universe or a totem pole. We pray to a God who hears, and he is a God of peace, supernatural peace that defies human understanding. You see that in verses 6 and 7. And that peace will guard your mind and sustain you. Regardless of how your emotions are, your thinking will be clear. Beyond this, we have to then remind ourselves of what, of what is true. You see that in verse 8, rather than succumbing to fear, ignorance, and hopelessness. And then verse 9, we're told to repeat this process continually. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Not to be glib, this is like a wash, rinse, and repeat cycle that goes over and over. The Spirit of God, God the Holy Spirit, the Helper, promised to us by the Son of God, God the Son, is with us and in us forever. And our comforter, as the old translation calls him, will sustain us. He gives us peace. He gives us understanding. He brings to mind the teachings of Christ at just the right time so that we are enabled and empowered to speak before kings if necessary and family members more than likely. We are confronted with the fact that we are messengers, mail deliverers, postal persons, not the Savior. 
And when your mail carrier delivers the mail, the power bill, for example, he or she does not stand over you and make you pay it. You and I deliver messages. God does saving. We might offer guidance, but salvation is from the Lord. There is grief in our discovery, and there is relief knowing that our sovereign Lord knows the situation. And he, in his good providence, has revealed their lost estate to you and I so that we can now adjust our approach and prepare for future conversations. And he's likely revealed their situation to them as well. We know that God does not believe in atheists, right? Romans 1, 18 to 20. He's revealed himself through the handiworks of creation so that all people everywhere are without excuse. So now what do you do? What can we do? You make a plan. Part of that plan is to love them. Expect them to test you, so be ready. As Peter writes, sanctify God in your heart, sanctify Christ in your heart. Be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you with meekness, gentleness, and respect. So live out your faith more self-consciously, perhaps. Don't be angry or resentful. Don't get mad at them. For what? They were born dead in their sins and trespasses, and they still are. That's their natural estate. Remind yourself that the natural mind cannot really understand the things of God because they are spiritually appraised. You have the mind of Christ, so you see things more clearly. Pray that God will open their minds so that as you bear witness to them, they will see a difference. You know, the other thing you could do, actually, is buy them this great book called The Story of Reality by Greg Kukul. It will help both of you think through the truth of the Christian faith. Also, buy yourself a copy of another book by Greg Kukul called Tactics, where he reminds us that God indeed does the saving, but we, we can ask them questions, we can present ideas, and do something he calls putting a rock in their shoe. Challenge their thinking that, that makes them walk away with like a pebble in their shoe where they feel a tension or a need to resolve something and they're not comfortable until they do. And it's that quest for resolution that may eventually lead to their salvation. The Spirit of God may use the Word of God and the question that you've raised in their mind to bring them to a crisis of faith. One plants, one waters, one harvest. It's God who yields the increase, and you never know where exactly you are in that process. Well, I think that's enough for now. Thanks for listening. Give us a like on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Leave us this five-star rating if you can. Uh, share us on social media with your friends if you find us helpful. And if you want to, reach out to me. Email me at keithcrosby at yahoo.com. keithcrosby, one word, at yahoo.com. Until then, may God bless you and God keep you.